All right, brothers and sisters. Oh man, we got a special one to this this week. Derek Rolf. Do you have a middle name, Derek? Bradley. Derek Bradley Rolf. Derek Bradley Cooper Rolf. Has anyone ever told you, you look like Bradley Cooper? Well, I wanted to grow my hair out like that in high school. Why didn't you? Let's well, I did. You. That's that's why oh, it's you longer did? now. Like I haven't. Okay. Got it. Slick back over there. You thinking about auditioning for uh, Hangover Four? Or? That would be freaking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think they're gonna do it again. You're more of a go- you're going for more of a Zach Galifianakis vibe. <laughs> <laughs> I could see it. I, I, dude, if I if he was in Hangover, I would picture him as Zach Galifianakis way over Bradley Cooper. Really? Yeah. I could see him as a. I mean, that's more of a Chase Higginson, honestly. Chase gives me Zach. No, I'm just kidding. Chase, Chase no. Higginson, Zach vibes. <laughs> Chase gives me what's the dentist the name? Stu. 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 No, that, that, that would Stu be Jake, vibes. my brother. Jake. Oh yeah, because he's gonna be a dentist, huh? That's true. Yeah. You think he'd think he'd marry a stripper? No. <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't. Even if it was for a night. Uh, I couldn't imagine Jake doing anything like that just because, like, he's so rigid. With how he is, and I tell that to his face, you know, if he's watching this, you know. You better be watching like, this. But like, but like, he's he's very just rigid, like you know, and it's a good thing, you know. We all have our own things. He's really like planned it out, and like, I never have like known Jake to be the one that like goes and gets like wild on one night. Yeah, who knows if he's because in Hangover, Stu got drugged, man. He yeah, didn't have a choice. Yeah, you know, or like in, in Hangover yeah. too, and he's like, "Who eats four marshmallows?" He's like, "You would have killed us if we'd ate four. When he drugs him with the marshmallows. Yeah. The one. He's like, how do you know we wouldn't eat four? He's like, who eats four marshmallows? <laughs> dude, I eat like eight marshmallows a night, dude. Yeah, you'd been You dead, bust man. out those s'mores, dog, it's game over for me. It's game over. Um, Derek, um, this is a special episode. You are upon request. Oh, yeah. I was at my wife's family's house on Sunday, and both my father-in-law and brother-in-law both requested you. <laughs> So, you should feel honored, because those are two great, awesome men. Oh, yeah, that's good. I like Phil um, and Caleb. So, Phil has, Phil, this is a straight, this is a question for, from Phil, and yeah. also from us. Um, do you think, well, I'm going to put my own twist on it, but do you think banks, banks, B-A-N-K-S, yeah. are evil? I don't think banks are evil. I mean, the way you got to think about banks within a financial ecosystem is, banks are like the heart of a financial ecosystem. You have all the money that kind of flows in, so, you know, you and Cooper, you make your money, you deposit in the bank, then they go and loan it out. Yeah. The underlying issue that we've gotten with banks in the past 20 years is that you've kind of privatized the gains and socialized the losses. Like in 2008, all the banks got greedy. Mm-hmm. They went and started, you know, they turned a good thing, which was called mortgage-backed securities, which was just bonds that were backed yep. by house mortgages. And then... Instead of like, you know, just kind of keeping it the same, they went and made things like called like CDLs, which were just crap. You'd take the worst loans out of the mortgage-backed securities, put them into there. Then when those got bagged, they took the worst loans out of there and put them in another CDL. And so you just had a lot of really bad loans. Yeah. And they were like betting on it. It'd be like you're betting on if Creighton's going to make a three throw. Like, I bet on you to make a free throw. And then Cooper bets on if you're going to make a three throw based on my bet. And then your wife would bet on Cooper's bet. And like you just had a giant line of people betting on if something was going to fail or not. And so it kind of blew up. And then you flash forward to now, and the underlying problem with banks now that you have is that prior, after 2008, we started printing tons of money, and we started spending more. Like, So up until 2008, we had printed $1 trillion as a country. 
Guess how much we've printed since then? How much? Nine trillion. Nine trillion. So we've, we've since two thousand since two thousand eight. So we've nine xed our total monetary supply, like the amount of money that they've put into the economy. And so the issue that you have now is that the past fifteen years they've basically made money free. Like you know, three years ago when COVID hit, even before that, you had basically zero percent interest rates. So it's not it's basically it's not fiat or whatever they call it. Right? Well, it's fiat, but basically what you had is because the way that the Federal Reserve works is that the Federal Reserve will print money or like, you know, they'll buy bonds or like do different things to finance the government deficit. So when the government goes into a deficit, like they always are, and you know, the Congress spends more than we actually take in, what they do is the treasury goes and prints a bunch of money, gives it to the federal reserve, and then the federal reserve goes and buys bonds. So we're basically monetizing our debt. So we're buying it from ourselves Okay. to go and make it. And, and the reason they do that is because if they didn't buy it, interest rates would go to like 20% because if you increase the total amount of bonds in the market, because that's how they fund the government, you increase the you so you shock the supply out. If you don't change the demand, you're gonna have to charge a lot. You're gonna have to give a lot higher interest rates in order to keep people buying the bonds. Right. So then the Federal Reserve would go and buy a bunch of the bonds to shock it back in, so the interest rates could remain remain stable. So basically, the problem is is that we've kept artificially low interest rates for 15 years. And then, what do you mean artificially low interest rates? Art, like, so, I mean, since 2008, interest rates have been like between 2 to 3%. Yeah. They've artificially kept it low they, because they kept buying the bonds, the Federal Reserve. So it should have been, it should have been going higher the whole time. Well, but. the issue with that is that it's not that it should have been going higher. It's that since you had the Federal Reserve, you know, our central bank, buying these things, you basically made it so that you no longer had a free market dictating the prices. Because if they never had dictated the prices because of how much our government's been spending, right. interest rates would have went through the roof. Right, makes sense. And people are like, well, that's not a good thing because you don't want interest rates to go high. But the problem is, is that since you kind of took out the market out of it and made it so that Congress doesn't you know, have a consequence for overspending, yeah. you've kept it artificially low and then you've had this rapid inflation. And I mean, contrary to popular belief, the reason we have all this inflation, part of it's you know, because we spent so much money in 2020 you know, to fight COVID, but the underlying issue is, is that when COVID hit, you already had a ton of money in the economy. But as soon as it hit and everything kind of got shut down for a couple of weeks and the supply chain got disrupted, it caused what they call the bull. I mean, it caused an effect where all of a sudden now you had the same amount of money chasing a smaller amount of goods because less goods were being produced. So that caused inflation to bump up, which made it so that banks could no longer just hold cash and they started loaning out tons of money for super, super cheap interest rates. And then since you had so much money flowing in from that yeah. and the overspending, it made it so that you had way more money chasing the same amount of goods. And they just kept spending and spending. And then to fight inflation, they're having to hike interest rates. And basically the banks are on the wrong side of it. So like when the interest rates go up, the value of a bond price goes down. Because if you buy a bond at a 3% interest rate and all of a sudden the market is determined you need to get a 6% return on it, yeah. Your your bond is worth way less than it was before. Yeah. So as it's kind of skyrocketed up, it made us all the assets banks are holding are worth way less. That's why you've had all these massive bank failures because they're on the wrong side of interest rates. So I mean that's kind of a long answer, but I want to say banks banks are not evil. They're a necessity in the economy. The problem is is that we've had almost like in a sense like what you'd call crony capitalism, where they're like they kind of bail it out. They artificially control interest rates. And they overstimulate an economy. It's like you look at California, how yeah. they have massive wildfires every year because you didn't come in and maintain the forest for the past 70 years because you're like, had all the hippies who were like right. hugging the trees and are like, we can't cut any of them down. 
when it's healthy to have a fire every six, seven years. It's the same for the economy. It's healthy to have a mild recession. So but, are you saying what's happening right now is is I don't it's definitely not a mild recession, right? It's definitely look, past mild. So is this healthy what's happening right now, or is it is it kind of gone past the point of being healthy? I mean the way you have to think about it is that if you don't have a if you don't have a mild recession, like I mean, you think about it like nineteen eighty seven, we had a big stock market crash. Popped yeah. right back up. You didn't do any government intervention. You didn't spend way more. You didn't change the interest rates. 1992, you had a mild recession. That's why George H.W. Bush and Ross Perot. But, like, you had a mild recession. They didn't do a giant government stimulus. It popped right back up the economy. Okay. 2004, had a mild recession. They slashed interest rates, but they didn't do a lot of spending. It popped right back up. And then in 2008, you had a massive recession. They spent way more, and we had the, we had the slowest recovery from the recession because you overstimulated an economy. You had an, it'd be like if you filled a dam full of too much water. It may look really good and it may be like, oh, well, the dam has tons of water. Eventually, it's going to burst when if you just were letting a little bit flow out and having right. it burn, or like with a force fire burning every six, seven years. It's healthy. Now, I mean, you look at what's happening right now. The market wants to implode. I mean, the stock market's kind of blowing up. Crypto's actually done pretty well. I mean, every time a bank has collapsed, it's actually went up, like Bitcoin, especially. And, you know, just for clarification, I would say Bitcoin is not even crypto. Bitcoin is different than a lot of crypto. But, like, I would say, you know, when you have a recession, it's terrible. You hate it. People lose their jobs. For every, like, you know, percent that unemployment goes up, 40,000 people are going to die. Like, it is not a good thing. And no right. and no one in their right mind would say, well, you know, you need to have a recession. You'd, but if you overstimulate an economy, the blow-up is going to be 10 times worse than if you just wouldn't have a mild one every eight years or whatever and we're kind of at a point where they've overstimulated it so much with so much spending that like you're gonna have a major impulse and like the thing that's most worrisome i think i was telling caleb this is the biggest asset banks have on their balance sheet outside of bond is commercial real estate you have commercial real estate like there's a tower a skyscraper actually in san francisco that was bought for 300 million dollars in 2021 i believe right now they're hoping to get a bid of 60 million dollars so that's that's an 80% markdown. Now, people are like, well, what does it matter? It's just San Francisco. I'm like, that's a skyscraper. Even though San Francisco's turned into a hellhole because they've had such rampant crime and they've had such terrible policies, that's the biggest asset banks have on their balance sheet. Now all these offices are like 20% vacant. That's like commercial real estate is 20% vacant. So in 2025, you have $1.5 trillion in loans that are going to have to be refinanced. So you're going to have either people defaulting because they're going to have to pay higher interest rates if they don't have tenants come in or the banks are going to keep it the same. They're going to do it, but the banks can't because they're on the wrong side of interest rates. So, I mean, in the long run, if you just kind of let it go down and actually let it run its course and instead of like, you know, if the economy were to blow up tomorrow yep. and instead of just, you know, going saying, you know, we're going to go spend $10 trillion to go, which is what Joe Biden and them would do because they, you're a big Joe Biden fan. No, but like, <laughs> you know, honestly, oh, it pay, no, it, it honestly pains me. Like, you know, I was an avid Trump guy. I think he did a lot of good things. I think we're kind of at the point where it's like America doesn't want a Joe Biden Trump rematch. Yeah. And I don't think Trump would be able to beat him, but like they would want to spend a ton of money and that would just exacerbate the problem because you'd have more inflation, more money, slower recovery because instead of letting it actually run its course, mm -hmm. you're just prolonging it. If that makes sense. Do you ever think the economy could crash and not come back up, though? Because if you look at history, like, every fiat currency, like, throughout time, like, it's always crashed. Like, yeah. There's still no fiat currency that's, like, 
lasted the test of time, I guess. Yeah. So, like, do you think the U.S. dollar could last? The, or do you think the, it will Look, I mean, there's an old adage, and it says it happens slowly and then suddenly. Uh-huh. That's what's happening to the U.S. dollar right now. We, if you look at it in 2000, the U.S. dollar, 73% of world trade was done in the U.S. dollar. So the U.S. dollar was the dominant currency in the world. Flash forward to 2020. 50, I'm trying to think, it was, I want to say it was 57% of trade was done in the U.S. dollar. So you had a decline, you had what they call the de-dollarization. Then from 2020 to 2021, it went down to like 46. So you saw a rapid decline. The world is going off the U.S. dollar, and the underlying reason is, is you look at how we reacted with Ukraine. Outside of whatever your thoughts are about that war, you know, or like spending, you know, everyone can have their own opinion. But what we did that was really stupid is that every country in the world has the U.S. dollar in their central banks. They view it as gold because it's been the, world, it's been the reserve currency of the world. You, it, they viewed it as gold. Well, we did, we didn't even do this in the Cold War. As soon as Russia attacked Ukraine, we decided we're going to go and seize all of Russia's U.S. dollars so they can't spend them. It's like $4 trillion worth of money. And everyone's like, well, that's good. We were trying to bankrupt it. But what we did is we turned our currency, which has been viewed as gold on the world stage, into a political football. So now you're seeing countries like Argentina is going off of it. The Saudi, Saudi, Saudi Arabia doesn't care about appeasing the U.S. They're going off of it. There's a, there's a coalition of countries called um, like it's, uh, Brazil, Russia... Um, it's pretty much yeah. BRICS, Brazil, Russia, um, South Africa, um, Venice, I don't know, China, and India. And you're looking at them and they're going off the U.S. dollar because, and you're seeing smaller countries do it because they're like, wow, whoever is, the, whatever activist is talking to Joe Biden or someone in the U.S. government, and it could be Republicans. Republicans have just been just as bad on this issue as Democrats in a lot of ways. They've the, the Republicans have spent just as bad as the Democrats. We just go and say we're a small government when really they just play with the deficit just in different ways. But they're moving off of it because we made it so that it's no longer viewed as a secure asset, but as something that we could just go and take away, which was is dumb, because that's how you devalue a currency. Like I predict that by, I mean at, by twenty thirty five, the U.S. dollar will probably be down to like a quarter of the world's trade. And it will mostly be just be in financial markets because it's kind of the lubricant because New York, L.A., you know, San Francisco used to be. We'll see what happens there. But, like, is going to be the center of, like, you know, the financial markets. But it's no longer going to be what oil's traded in. And that's kind of scary. Right. Yeah. What do you think the answer is then if countries are going off the U.S. dollar? Like, what are they going to rely uh, on? I mean, replace that? look, what you're going to have basically, the way I describe, you know, most fiat currency and even the U.S. dollar the U.S. dollar is like the crappiest house in a really bad neighborhood where most houses on fire. The All cra- of them, wait, the crappiest house in a really. I mean, bad no, I mean, no. It's the nicest house in a really, really bad neighborhood okay. where half the houses are on fire. Fiat currency, it's like how democracy is viewed. It's the best form of all the terrible forms of government. Or of course, we're not a democracy; we're a republic. But that's besides the point. Like, the U.S. dollar has been the best form of all the most terrible forms of monetary systems. Like, because it's been fairly stable. You know, you haven't had high, you have never had massive inflation until you're seeing it now, or like in the '70s, and so basically, you're saying the monetary system that the world has adopted for the last maybe century is just terrible overall. Well, like it just it's bad because the, the underlying issue is that as soon as you went off the gold standard, what backs it? And they're like, what backs Bitcoin or something? But really, what backs it? Like, I mean, you had a congressman who hates Bitcoin for whatever reason, and he was basically like, yeah, we can print money out of thin air, but it's okay because we're the U.S. government. I'm like. Eventually, the bill comes due. You can't just print money. And so, I mean, 
What I would say is you're you're going to basically go into a world where it's, where it's multipolar. There isn't one dominant currency, which is going to make there be more inflation in the U.S. But, I mean, there's kind of two options. The way I always look at it is, like, you know, there's, there, there's pictures. You'll see them on Twitter or something, and you have, like, the line of all the people going to the movie, and it's, like, debt and slavery or something. And then on the other line, it's, like, one person, and it's Bitcoin. And I really feel like that's the truth because Bitcoin is not, like I said, Bitcoin is not crypto. Crypto is infrastructure being built around what Bitcoin has created with the blockchain technology. But the, the, the basis idea behind Bitcoin is you have a network that's peer-to-peer. So I could send money to Cooper or I could send money to Creighton and no, Go for it, no centralized party can stop it. Right now, I mean, if the bank was like, you know, we really, the bank, you know, the way you think about it with how banks are with your currency, it's like if you have a filing cabinet and only one person has a key. Well, they could go and basically open the cabinet, take out all Cooper's files, it's not even there. You know, there's there's only one person has it. Yeah, like if you have like $10 million in the bank and you just roll up and like, hey, I want my money out right now, like you couldn't do it. Yeah, they wouldn't give yeah. it to you. And 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 I mean, I understand like, you know, they put laws in, you know, like with the settling or like the know your customer, you know, the KYC stuff after 9-11, which I mean, look, some of it's good. Some of it's just like, this is just kind of a pain. doesn't really solve the problem, you know. But the th- that's the thing that's beautiful about Bitcoin is that it's pseudonymous. So, you know, if I sent, you know, a Bitcoin to Cooper, Creighton could see that that transaction went through, but he wouldn't know it was me and Cooper. And the person who reviews it could be some random dude in Mexico who's running a computer. It's a peer-to-peer network that is validated by decentralized actors. So there isn't one central party that's like, you know what, we really don't like Cooper. We're going to take all of his money, which the government could do. Tomorrow they could be like, you know what, we really don't like Creighton. We don't like what he's doing with his concrete pump-up business. So we're just going to go and seize his bank account. Will they do it tomorrow? I doubt it, but they could. Or you look at it where, look what happened to Ukraine's dollar. As soon as the Ukrainian war started, their currency became worthless. If the U.S. government went out tomorrow and we lost a war, our currency would be worthless. Bitcoin may lose a lot of value, but it wouldn't be worthless because it doesn't need a centralized party to give it value. It's given value because it's scarce. There's only going to be 21 million of it in existence. And the utility is that you have a true peer-to-peer network that is completely decentralized. Yeah, and banks are already doing that. Like, you look at, like, Kanye West, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, sure, what he said was probably pretty messed up. But, like, they froze all his bank accounts. Like, it's his money, and he couldn't even get it out. Yeah. Or Andrew Tate, same thing. Like, he's had so many bank accounts frozen. Like, even though it's, like, his money, like, he can't even touch it. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, I would say the same thing. Like, you know, I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat or anyone. The end goal of what people are doing with how they're trying to make it all centralized and all one power is so that you have all the elites who have all the power, the politicians, all the people in charge, and then normal people on both sides. Like, you know, a lot of these people that are voting for like people like ALC, like these super staunch Democrats or something, they don't really care about you. They view you as useful idiots, and they view the right as, like, you know, opposition power. And their end goal is they want, they, they, they want total power. That's why, have you guys heard of central bank digital currencies? Like banks trying to come out with well, these digital... basically like, what people are wanting to do... Cryptos. No, so basically what they're doing is the, the Federal Reserve, they want to do it. Probably won't be able to. It'd be really tough, but you're seeing like uh, China does it. And it's like, that's a good example of what not to do. Do the opposite oh, of China. Much, it's pretty much like a social score for your... Well, yeah, but what they do is they basically, all your money, you no longer have cash. You no longer really have even individual banks. The central government, so the Federal Reserve in our case, can print the money or they can you know, just make the digital tokens and they just send it to Cooper and they're like, okay, here's your money or something. You know what I mean? And then 
if you are say Cooper goes to fill up his gas tank, and they're like, oh, Cooper's used too much gas. They control everything about a central bank digital currency. It's all controlled by them. They could be like, you know what, Cooper's used too much gas this week. We're not going to let him fill up his truck. Or they could be like, you know what, Creighton, he bought a gun last week. We're not going to let him buy ammo. Or they could just go and say, you know what, we're not going to let you buy a gun because they can control the money. That's their end goal. They want to control the money so that they can make it so that no one has any autonomy over what they do. So is crypto the, is crypto the savior or at least the hero against this? I view it as that. I think Bitcoin is. I mean, Bitcoin is truly... It's decentralized, it's a commodity, and then you have other things like Ethereum, I would say, is a commodity. Because it's not, it's not like a company. Ethereum, it's a network. Have you, if you, basically, the way to think about it, within crypto, you have what they call layer ones. Bitcoin's a layer one, or Ethereum's a layer one, or Phantom's a layer one. And what that basically is, it's like a foundation of a house, or like someone's frame of their body, you know what I mean? Okay. Or like, you know, as you're building a house, you pour the foundation, that would be like Bitcoin or something. It's there. And your house is there, but isn't you don't have all the features to make it. You know, you don't have water coming into the house, or you yeah. don't have a bedroom, or you don't have walls, or different things. So what is the water? What is the and, and so are? and that's what I mean. And so then everything built on top of that is like companies. So like within Ethereum, Ethereum is the foundation. Then within Ethereum, you have things that are like they're called DApps, decentralized applications. You have something that's like um, oh Uniswap, where you can go and trade your tokens for different things. You know, it's just an application to to help facilitate a financial ecosystem built around decentralized economies like with blockchain technology or you have stuff like render which i which i think is really cool where it's basically it's something that can make it so that when you're originally when you're doing like a job like you know doing augmented reality virtual reality or ai the computer has to use it's called gpus in a computer has called to use, what they're called gpus it's a part of GPUs. computer okay, it's yeah, what yeah. they use to make you know vr ai render these things and the issue with that is they take a while. You know, if you're just using your normal MacBook, it may take you 25 hours to do one rendering job, is what they call it. But with Render, it, it's a company, so it'd be like a security. Yeah. You can go and say you pay like a dollar. Your a Render token's like a dollar. You go and enter it into a smart contract, which is an automatically executing contract. So if I give Cooper a dollar, he receives that dollar when he gives me the computing power to finish my job quicker. And it automatically executes. And the job will get done in 15 minutes instead of 25 hours. So it can make it way quicker. So that's like an example of like how it's kind of, you have the foundation, which is Ethereum, and then you have these applications that they're called dApps, decentralized applications, that are built upon it. And the way you have to think about a lot of stuff within crypto, none of it's trying to replace the US dollar. All the people are like, well, they're trying to regulate Bitcoin, and like, it's going to, like, regulation, as long as it isn't idiotic, is good. It will make it so you can have mainstream adoption. What people need to understand is... But who's going to regulate it? Well, you're going to have to have the government because you're looking at what you're seeing. Like, Congress needs to actually do regulation because right now, the SEC, the Securities and Exchanges Commission, is making so that every crypto company, like you've heard of Coinbase or, you know, Binance or these different things. Yeah. They're all offshoring out of the U.S. because the U.S. has been hostile because the guy who's chairman of the SEC, Gary Gensler, mm-hmm. is retarded. He's an idiot. He, he doesn't, he, he really, he doesn't understand it. And instead of, we love you, Gary, no, no, honestly, that guy, that guy's doing more damage to like our ecosystem than like most people ever will do to our financial ecosystem because his regulation is opaque. It doesn't make sense. He doesn't do anything. He's just making it so that we're hostile to crypto and the thing that we have to protect consumers. Well, you know, FTX blew up and crashed. A lot of Americans lost money in that. Guess what? That wasn't based in the U S Going and making so that all these companies offshore doesn't do anything. It doesn't protect American consumers. It just makes it so that you don't, so you can't even screen them and they aren't beholden to any of your regulation. 
So what you need to have for you know blockchain technology is regulation that sets just framework for what company gives them clarity for how they have to operate and incentivize them to actually come back in. So make it so you have an environment that works with them and wants to incentivize it because we have two options. We can incentivize and have all the growth happen in America like we saw on the internet and reap the benefits of it. Or we can fight it and then they're all going to go to places like Dubai or Saudi Arabia or even England or parts in the EU and do it there and they're going to reap the ones. Those are the two options. And it's like thinking archaically and not trying to, you know, take advantage of new technology isn't going to work out in the long run. It's going to hurt us. Okay, so how do you put these regulations on, on cryptocurrency and the blockchain or whatever it may be? I mean, I think the best way you do it is, look, Bitcoin is a commodity. Ethereum is a commodity. You can start there. All the layer ones are commodities. Then you can go and look and say, well, okay, Render, for example. That may be a security because it's a company. You know, I'm not here to go and make a judgment on it. But the thing that makes it tough to, you know, regulate, which is why they just need to have some sort of just, like I said, clarity. And, you know, I don't know all the answers on it, but they need to put some sort of clarity out there because you just have, and I guess the thing that makes it tough is stuff like render, you know, the render token isn't like buying ownership in the company of render. It's basically, you know, the transact, it's what they use for transaction on their network. So it'd be like, you know, if at Pump It, you guys, instead of having people pay you in dollars, they went and bought Pump It tokens. And use puppet tokens to pay you on your network. You know what I mean? That is essentially what it is like. They have their own. Render isn't the company. It's the transaction token that they use on their network to fund, you know, their smart contracts. And that's kind of what makes it tough is because it's not like you're buying an ownership in a company. You're not. It's interesting, but they need to, they need to start out. They need to define digital assets, you know, so like Bitcoin or something. And then they need to, you know, put just clear guidelines and be like, okay, this is a security, that isn't. That's a commodity, that's a security. They need to define it actually. But how who defines it? Like I well, feel you, like... need, you need you need to have Congress comprehensively sit down like you have But you, Congress is a bunch of old people that don't the, understand the, this the, stuff. that is part of the issue, but you have people that <laughs> like are they've used doll they, they these these people are the people that have gone to the, the grocery store when they're ten years old to get is that your stomach? No, but no, <laughs> no, no, no. But no. Just, no, but these Congress guys are just like these guys are the guys that went to the store and bought bubble gum for ten cents. Yeah, like they don't. There's no way in I hell mean, they comprehend this kind we, of stuff. That's you know, what I'm saying. There's one no guy way. I really like actually. There's some I really like. So you got Patrick McHenry. He's a congressman out of North Carolina. He's the chairman of the of of uh, the Financial Services Committee in the House of Representatives. He gets it. He knows that you have to have comprehensive regulation on it. He understands, you know, you need to define Bitcoin as a commodity. You need to do this. He understands okay. it. He, and you have other people, you know, like Brian Donalds. You have uh, Warren Davidson out of Ohio. You have different people. And, you know, in the Senate, you got Mike Lee is awesome. Been awesome with crypto. Really? Really understands it. Ted Cruz really gets it. You got people that understand it. And what you need to do is you need to actually come to the table and you need to bring people that understand it. So one example is Brian Armstrong. He's the CEO of Coinbase. He went and met with Chuck Schumer. And I think he met with Kevin McCarthy about trying to do regulation to go and make it so that they can have clarity. You should, you should be calling in a reputable access. I'm not, I mean, experts. I'm not saying like, you know, like just Joe Schmo off of Twitter who has like 80,000 followers and like, you know, we're going to take his advice. <laughs> you should be calling in, you know, experts that are reputable, that actually understand it and get their opinion. And then you should do what Congress was always made to do where you have open and frank discussions. You don't really have anymore. It's really kind of sad, you know. Yeah. Everyone just kind of does it party lines and you're kind of starting to have it develop where Republicans are pro-Bitcoin or blockchain 
and Democrats are anti. Like, you got Elizabeth Warren, you know, as Trump would call her, Pocahontas, you know, because she claims she was Native American when she wasn't. Yeah. Who's like, I'm building an anti-crypto army. That's stupid. You're not addressing the problem. You're not protecting the consumers. You're just perpetuating it. You're, put, you're kicking the can down the road, and you're making it so that America misses out. You need to come to the table and actually be able to listen and try to be a part of some sort of regulation that protects consumers but gives people room to grow. Or that makes sense, though, because if, like, most Democrats and liberals, like, if they want control, you know, the U.S. dollar's the way to do it. If, if we go to, like... It's, the, it's, not, it's not even the U.S. dollar. It's the central bank digital currency because at the end of the day, yeah, you can do you can control the dollar, you know, with fiscal and monetary policy, but you can't go and stop someone from spending their cash. They want to move into a cashless society. That's what they really want, and a lot of people that are, like, pro going for it, they don't understand that it's going to be used against them, too. They don't care about you. It's like, it really is truly... You have a lot of people that are that are useful idiots. What do you call them? Like LeBron James is a great example. He's a useful idiot. Doesn't understand it. <laughs> They're like just all cheering. Like, look, whether or not you like President Trump, the fact that they indicted him over, you know, the, the hush money thing, whether or not you like him, that's dangerous. Do we really want to live in a country where the, you know, the political party in power uses it to silence opposition? Whether or not you like him, because at the end of the day, what happened... You turn into a third world country where presidents don't want to leave office because they're worried about getting prosecuted. That isn't positive. And, you, like, you know, I don't like Bill Clinton or Obama or any of them. You know, I disagree with them on policy. But if you just wouldn't have arrested Obama just because you're like, well, you know, we don't really like him. So we're going to do these trumped up charges and go after him. That's fundamentally wrong. It doesn't lead you down a good road. And the end result is that all the people who are not a part of the elite, st- of the elite status don't get control like they really do they want you to own nothing and be somewhat happy like literally you don't revolt like there's a guy his name's Klaus Schwab I think he's the CEO Klaus Schwab yeah oh the CEO of Les Schwab Uh, no he's the guy he's the CEO he's (laughs) I wish he was only the CEO of that he's the CEO (laughs) of BlackRock it's like a 10 they they, they manage like 10 trillion dollars in assets they're basically buying up all the houses in America and he like heads up the world economic forum and he said that they want you to own nothing and be happy. They want you to eat bugs. They want you to be completely controlled because they don't really view you as the same and they want to use central bank digital currencies as a way to do that. That's why they hate Bitcoin. They can't control it. That's why they hate cash. That's why they tried to move everything away from a society where you have transactions without it being verified by a bank or a credit card company because they want to have control over your how you everything you do. So doesn't that kind of worry you that like I know, understand that regulations are a good thing, but regulations lead to control in a lot of ways. Yeah, but the, the but the bottom line with any regulation on crypto or anything is if you never regulate the internet, like how they did different things to make you know just different regulations that promoted the growth or did different things, the internet wouldn't have grown. It wouldn't have adopted. You need some regulation to put into place because the bottom line is. I guess is, you could look at it like 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 a basketball game, for example. If there was no rules in a basketball game, it wouldn't be a basketball. Yeah, game. it'd be chaos. And, yeah. and 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 the only reason I'm saying that you need even any regulation is basically you need regulations so companies know how they can operate that are selling Bitcoin or that are selling Ethereum or that are selling different cryptocurrencies. Right. They need to have clarity on how the law will be applied to them because until they know how it will be applied. They don't know if what they're doing is breaking law or not because the government won't tell them one way or another. And I feel like a lot of people are pretty hesitant on crypto still, like in America and around the world. So if we put regulation on it, it'd kind of make it mainstream. Like, oh, it's okay. Like, it's safe. Like, some people are still like, oh, I'm kind of scared to use this. Like, I, I don't really know what this is about. Just like the internet. Yeah. Internet. Like, no one really knows 
well, the internet yeah. is. Like, if you ask someone to explain the internet, they'd be like, yeah, I can't. Same thing with, like, Bitcoin and crypto. Like, it's super hard to explain. Mm-hmm. But, like, if the U.S. is putting regulation on it, you know, a yeah. lot of these people are putting their trust in that. And, like, okay, it's safe. Like, we can start accepting this as, like, forms of currency for our business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, one, one company I really like, you know, we've done some work with them. It's called CoinZoom. They, you know, they're based out of Utah. But they have a really cool feature where I use it. You know, you buy Bitcoin. And then you get your CoinZoom card. It's a Visa debit card, and you can spend in Bitcoin. So, like, if you got like you know a hundred bucks in Bitcoin, so you got like in that case, be like three tenths of a percent of Bitcoin or whatever, you can just spend it on like a debit card. So you have, you have, and CoinZoom is really regulated. They were really smart about how they did all their stuff, and they're as regulated as any financial institution. And so they're able to do all these things. But you have a lot of places that kind of went and built up a customer base before they did all the regulation compliance and got all their approval and that's why you're seeing issues with it mm-hmm. but so i mean yeah i mean just having clear set rules whether they are favorable or not to crypto hopefully they're favorable that's what i would want because you should promote growth because if you're not promoting growth as a government you really aren't protecting anyone you should be promoting growth but if you don't even set the rules and no one knows what the rule is it's chaos and no one's going to want to work there because it's like, well, tomorrow they could come and arrest me for something I didn't even know was illegal, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's not, that, that's not conductive to running an economy, especially when you have innovation. But again, like I said, a lot of these people, they just don't like Bitcoin because they really can't control it. Like people are like, well, what if they ban it? I'm like, China's banned Bitcoin 13 times. People still use Bitcoin in China. It's because in order to ban Bitcoin, you literally would have to end the internet and destroy every computer in the world. We tried to do that in Afghanistan for 20 years. Didn't work. We, I mean, we tried to do it in, like, all over the Middle East when we were in war in there. Like, it didn't work. We couldn't destroy the internet. We couldn't control, destroy their computers. Like, it's impossible. Dude, it's like freaking Ultron. Yeah. From uh, Avengers. Yeah. Thing. But, like, that's the thing is, like, in order to ban it, you literally would have to destroy Burn it. it. You'd have to destroy the internet uh-huh. and every computer in the world, which isn't feasible. Yeah. So, going back to what you were talking about earlier... Um, with like, you know, the government trying to reg- not even just the government, but like government's part of it, but other people trying to regulate these things because mm-hmm. they want to have control. Like lots of people talks about this, like called like the matrix or like people yeah. behind the current or whatever. Uh, do you have like a theory on that? Like who's behind the curtain or who's part of the matrix? You know, you know in all honesty, strings? And, you know, it, it really is kind of sad because a lot of people don't even realize it. You know, I'm not Mr. Like, oh, I'm a conspiracy theorist. Like, you know, like you have to wear tinfoil hats, you know. But like, you know, kind of the real truth is if you look at it, you know, you have the global elites, you know, the, the multi, multi, multi-billionaires who go and, you know, donate all the money to the politicians and they kind of control them and you have one giant uniparty. That's why when they want to push stuff through, it gets through because, you know, most politicians are bought and paid for mainly because... It's money and power. You get into, you become a senator, you get all these donations, you're getting rich. I mean, how in the heck do you have people that went into the, to office with no money? Lifetime and, politicians. And, and, they, and they leave with 200... Like, I mean, look at the Clintons. They were broke when they became president. Or Nancy Pelosi. Oh, yeah, Nancy, well, Nancy Pelosi, and then they made a lot of money. I mean, she did a lot of insider trading, I believe. You know, you just oh, look... Yeah, too, yeah. Like, I mean, how do you end up on the right side of every land deal in California and, like, every stock movement for the past 30 years? Now, granted, the Pelosi's at least had a lot of money before they got into office and they made more. But you have people like the Clintons were dead broke. They're like 100 millionaires. Like the Bidens. I mean, the dude has been a public, a politician for his whole life. 
How does he have a massive house in South Carolina, a massive beach house in Delaware? Like, all these different houses and money and cars. I'm like, and he's like, I don't own any stocks. Like, he was saying that when he was, like, running with Obama or something. It's like, it's all corrupt. They just go in there. It's money and power. They stay in office because, you know, we don't have term limits, and it's just more money and power. And it's just, it's a never-ending circle. And, I mean, I think one of the solutions, you need to have term limits for everyone. Like, you know, a senator should get two terms, a congressman should get six. They should have 12 years in there. If you can't get anything done in 12 years... That's on you. I mean, you should be able to get everything you want to get done in two terms. But then everyone's like, well, then why don't you expect Republicans to retire? I'm like, well, if we're not, if we, we can't just play by our own set of rules and let them run roughshod over us, we can't be sitting here. We're going to play by gentleman rules and let you kind of just do everything and keep all the power. We have to be able to fight back. And then once we get it, you know, set the term limits, you know, that's, that's like people talk about mail-in voting and they're like, we shouldn't do it. I'm like, well, that's a stupid argument because you're playing with one arm tied behind your back. So if you're going to try to, you know, take on the elites and, you know, try to change the system, you have to be willing to get down in the mud and do what it takes to win. Now, I'm not saying cheat or violate your principles or anything like that, but you have to play the game by the rules that the other side will set mm-hmm. and win. And again, that's not me saying you should never cheat. You should Sounds never... Sounds like that's what you're saying. No, I'm just making the point that if they're going to say, you know, we're going to vote by mail and do it for 30 days... Mm-hmm. What about vote by female? <laughs> but like yeah but like if you're gonna vote, if they're gonna say you know we're gonna vote by mail for 30 days and that's the law and that is the law we need to do the same thing if they're gonna say you know what so send in fake ballots well honestly 2020 wasn't stolen like i mean there was a lot of fishy stuff and like you had big tech and they were putting their thumbs on the scale and do stuff at the end of the day trump blew it i mean my heck he lost to a guy who couldn't get out of his basement like i love trump voted for him you know, I thought he did a lot of really, really good things. He completely blew it. Like, completely. And, like, just saying, well, it was rigged and we're going to run back and win again. That's a stupid argument. That's like saying, you know, we went and lost a football game, but the refs had it out for us. So we're going to come back and play the same team, but we're not going to change a thing about how we did it. You're asking to lose. Every time you take a loss, you need to take accountability and look at where you can do better. And honestly, the sad thing about Trump is, is he took all the wrong indications from 2020, and he's doing the same things. I mean, like, you see all the crap he's doing. Like, you know, whether or not you agree with or not, you know, I'm not the person you have to convince to vote for you. I'll vote for whoever the Republican nominee is, you know. I believe in it, at least with judges and different things. I'll vote for him. I'm not here to convince, but you have to be able to go into these places and convince people to actually, you know, vote. I mean, we kind of got off topic, but you have to be able to convince like you know the white suburban educated voters you have to be able to go in and convince them hey you know what i really didn't like you then but i'll vote for you now because the problem is, is that most people despise him because he's done so much to just piss off the people he needs to win so who's winning in 2024 if trump's the nominee uh we not lose. even if trump's a, i mean i mean take trump away i mean who would win besides trump on the republican side desantis is the only republican who could beat biden in 2024 i think so I don't think that many people are unhappy with Biden. Yeah, like, why do you think Biden has such a great chance to win? Want me to tell you the honest truth. If if it's a rematch of Trump-Biden, independents do not like Joe Biden. They don't. You look at the data. Democrats don't like Joe Biden. Yeah, but the bottom line is, is they may not like Joe Biden, but you know who they hate? Donald Trump. Look at 2016. Hillary Clinton's approval rating with independents, you know, people who were undecided, was negative 50. Trump won the people who basically hated both of them by 20 points. Then 2020 rolled around and you had the percentage of people who hated both candidates who decide the elections who swing. He lost it by 13. Mm. People don't like Joe Biden. They don't. They despise Donald Trump. And I, 
and I'm not trying to be like, oh, I, I like Trump. I think he did a lot of good things. But if we're going to be pra- if we're going to be honest about it and look at you know the data and the path to victory, there is three states that matter in 2024. There's three: Georgia, Arizona, and Wisconsin. If you're a Republican and you win those three, you win the election. That's how many you need because you got all the other states that are coming along that you can mark off and got in your back. If we win those three swing states, we win the election. Now you can go and look. Let's look at where Trump has bled the most support. The white college educated suburban voters. Now let's look at Georgia, Georgia and Arizona. Where are the places you have to win votes to win the election? In Arizona, you have to win Maricopa County. That's a bunch of suburban white educated voters. You look at Georgia, you have to win the Atlanta suburbs, you know. Northern Atlanta, you have to win you have, you have to do well in Cobb County. It's a bunch of suburban people. They despise Trump. They don't like Biden. They despise Trump. That's the bottom line. The people that he has to have to win an election don't like him. You don't think after, especially after Biden's done, you don't think some of those people have switched over, like dislike Biden even more than Trump? I mean, look, here's the honest way you put it. If Trump runs, what is the story? I mean, what's the talk if it's Trump versus Biden? What, I mean, what's the story that people are going to talk about? I think it's close, to be honest with you. But it, but if it's Trump against Biden, it's going to be like 2020, where it's a referendum on Trump. It's all about Trump. It's not about... Look at 2020. Mm-hmm. The election was not about Hunter Biden. It was not about even COVID. It was about, you know what? We don't like Trump. That was what it was about. Or because, even if it was DeSantis running, though, the media would be doing the same yeah, thing. Yeah, but, 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 but the difference between DeSantis and Trump, and you, you can look at the data... Independence despise Trump. DeSantis has faced a tough media. The media hates him. They, they keep trying to do it. DeSantis doesn't walk into all their traps. I mean, my head, Trump, the New York Times hates Trump. He would sit down and do interviews with writers for the New York Times all the time. Why do you even walk into their traps? I mean, honestly, like you're like, well, they were all against him. They're against DeSantis. And whoever the Republican nominee is, they're going to be against him. I mean, my heck, Mitt Romney... He's literally like when you buy a picture frame at a store. He's like the he's like just the bland looking guy that's in the picture frame. Like that's what Mitt Romney is. He's just like he's like the guy in the picture frame before you put your own picture in it. Like when you buy it, mm-hmm. they made Mitt Romney be out to be like a cancer killing, dog abusing, like evil human being. I don't like Mitt Romney. But to your point about him, like about uh, Trump, like going and like sit down in interviews with the New York Times or whatever it may be, like. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's that. I think that's that needs to happen more. Like, what's wrong with going to have a discussion with someone that openly and blatantly disagrees with you? It's not about having the discussion. It's the fact that you're like, well, the media is so against me, but you keep walking into their traps. Like, it's like if you're gonna, if you know that there's someone that hates you and they're gonna cut your stuff. I mean, like, and you're if you say Cooper really hated you, Craig, and you're like, you know what, Cooper hates me, and he's gonna go on take a different angle on the interview and do all these different things to make me look bad. You know, cut parts out of the interview, copy and paste, do different things in it. And you know he's going to do that. Why would you sit down and give him an interview? You're giving him what they want. Like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, why would you sit down and do it? Like, all these interviews you see on TV, it's not just one giant live interview. Yeah. They cut parts out, they put it together, and they're going to do their own angles. Why would you even walk into the trap? I mean, honestly, you look at all these... You just, you look at all these different things and it's just like you you walked into the trap. And then on top of that, you know, you look at everything that he, you look at stuff about him. He didn't build the wall and basically all the really good people that he had around him don't want to be there anymore. Like, I like the guy. He did a lot of good things. I'm not, this isn't me like crap on Trump hour. That's well, not I, don't, the, I, I don't care about the dude. I so. that, that, that's not the point I'm making. 
But you look at it in his presidential cabinet. And he's like, you know, what? we're going to drain the swamp. He brought all these people back that were swamp creatures. That were just like, Carl Rove ran his campaign in 2020. He had John Bolton come in. He didn't like him. He had a bunch of people that he came in that were like part of the swamp. Part of the establishment that didn't like him. That undermined him. He didn't go into all these agencies and get rid of all the Obama holdovers. Which he could have. He just let them run roughshod. He, he did all, he, he made terrible personnel decisions. Like, horrendous. Like, I mean, the dude had four chief, chief of staffs, which is, like, not uncommon to have one or two. Like, he would make terrible personnel decisions. And again, I thought he did a lot of good things, but he made terrible personnel decisions. And all the stuff he said he's going to do this time, like, he's, I'm going to fire all the employees. Why didn't you do it? Like, the bureaucrats in the deep state. Why didn't you do it the first time? I'm going to build the wall. Why didn't you do it the first time? I'm going to go and do all these different things with immigration. Why didn't you do it the first time? Like, his campaign is not forward thinking. It's like everything was perfect in 2019. And I'm going to go and fight the deep state more. You can't win a presidential election looking backwards. And on top of that, it's very hard to get people to admit they were wrong. That's one thing that is, that is, is common with everyone. In order for him to win in 2020, I mean, if, he, if he's the nominee this election cycle, he has to go and get everyone who voted against him that he needs to win to admit that they were wrong and that he was right. There's only one place where that's ever happened in American politics consistently. It's in New Hampshire. You had, like, over the course of 10 years, every other year had the same people running against each other. And every other year, the, you, had, you know, the candidate would beat the other one and then be the same the next year, and then it would flip. Every other year for, like, 10 years it did. And that's just in New Hampshire is just really, like, swing state Like, it's just kind of, like, it's just, it's just a different, it's, they just vote differently than other states. Like, they're really, like, you know, like, oh, trendy, almost. Like, they'll swing vote really handily. In order for Trump to win, you have to get people to admit they were wrong, and the, and the demographic that hates him the most is what he needs to win, which is college-educated suburban voters. Like, if you just look at the numbers, about 65% of the electoral is going to be white. Trump will probably get 57, 58% of it, so that's going to put you at about 34%. Then you're going to have about 12% of the electoral is going to be black. If he's really lucky, he's going to get 1% of that. Puts him at 34. Then probably about 15% is going to be Hispanic. I mean, if he gets 40%, which would be pretty fitting because he made good gains there, you're getting another, what, 5 6%. So that's putting him at like 43% in the, in the total, the grand scheme of stuff. Who's going to put them over the edge? Are you going to like? Are you going to get a bunch of you have the way that a Republican wins? You have to drive up the white vote and win it. That's how you have to win if you want to win an election as a Republican. That's that's the blueprint because it's like um, African Americans will vote ninety five percent Democrat. Hispanics are going to be they're getting more you know fifty fifty. But the way you have to win an election, you have to get sixty percent or more of the white vote if you're a Republican. That's how you have to win. And he's bled so much. Like, I mean, honestly, like, if he was... There's another good podcast to listen to. Like, um, it's the Buck Sexton Show. He did a, he did a, an interview with a guy named Ryan Gerdusky, who's, like, a political expert. He's conservative, and he talks about the data. But he was like, if you look at everything, if Trump's the nominee, and you run him out again, you will lose every state you lost in 2020, which I think is true, plus North Carolina, and Texas will be within one or two points. Because you look at the places that he has to win... He has to win suburban areas. They don't like him. And 99% of the American electorate has made up their mind about Trump, whether they like him or not. That's the bottom line. Most people have made their mind up. You're not going to go and find a bunch of people who are going to change their mind on him. You know? 
I mean, it's tough because, like I said, he did a lot of good things and he brought new people to the party and he and he and he did a, he did a lot of he did a lot of good things. But the idea that you know he got rigged in 2020 and it's just his turn again, so we should just put him out there, is dumb because everything he's done the last three years has only hurt him electorally to win an election. Okay, so here's the real question I have for you for tonight. <coughs> Trump and Biden, both one current president of the United States mm-hmm. and one former president of the United States. Let's just put this up to their uh, 2024 election. Let's put it up to a round of golf. Who wins? Well, Trump, because Biden's senile and Trump actually golfs. See, I think we should just do that. Just determined by golf. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I wish, but yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. Are you I'm, gonna run for president? If I ever had the clout to run for president, I'd probably have a lot of money, which means I'd have a lot of land, so I probably wouldn't because it's like, why would I want to leave? I mean, if ever, if it ever got so bad that I was like, I'm the only person who could come in and fix it, then I'd consider it. Do you consider yourself capable to run a country? Well, I think I could, but the problem is, is a lot of the solutions you'd have to do to actually fix it, you know, to tackle the debt crisis. To get a lot of these things under control and to put you back on the path to, you know, normalcy and like, you know, actually being successful as a country and not having all these issues. They're not electable issues. Like, I mean, say, you know, what, we're not going to spend in a massive deficit. Hard to get elected on that and be like, you know what, we're not going to go. And, and I mean, so I'm, yes, you do consider yourself capable. I think I could. But I mean, all, but the biggest issue is that if you're going to run a country. You have to be able to have a lot of really serious and smart people around you. Do you consider yourself capable to do that alone without the serious and smart people? I don't think anyone could. It is too, it is too massive. One person can't... Do you can't, think Jesus could? Well, yeah, Jesus obviously could. That's, I always <laughs> just am like... I'm like, we're at, the point in our, we're at the point where it's just like, we just need Jesus to come. Like, I mean, that's the only that's thing That's what I'm gonna, saying, dog. That's the only thing that's really going to save us because I'm like, we're just in a mess. So when does Jesus come back? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, just watch General Conference, you know, go to the temple, you know. Pray about it. Yeah. Be ready whenever. I mean. Do you think it's in your lifetime? I mean, I don't know. I think it's in my lifetime. You know, it's hard to think about how it could get much worse, but we were saying that 10 years ago, and here we are. Yeah. So, it's like, how much worse does it have to get? That's a, that's a great question, because, I mean, I remember like 10 years ago, like, this is like, the world's so evil, and it's like, my hell, and like, now we got dudes like, cutting off their dicks, and like, oh, like, all this like, just crazy stuff, it's like, that's totally normal, like. If you want to do that, I don't really care. But why should we ever have... Why should kids ever be subject to have, you know, stuff like that? And it's just like... We almost have, like, no redeeming quality as, like... As a society, we've completely turned our hearts away from God as a society. And it's really sad. Like, I mean, and it's just like... And that's why I think you see a lot of mental health stuff, you know, with people. is like, you have social media and, you know, you no longer have strong families. They try to destroy strong families. And you don't really have a moral compass because... Largely, a lot of people aren't religious anymore, which is sad. And, I mean, you don't have to be religious to be a good person. But as you look at, like, kind of the moral decay in, like, almost every society throughout history, it's because they either started worshiping false idols or they became non-religious. So we're worshiping a ton of false idols. Yeah, basically. Like, a ton of false idols. Like, I won't get into it. Like, TikTok. TikTok. I haven't had TikTok since like 2020. I deleted it like after I graduated high school. I, I just use that. That's where you find all the UFC fights. TikTok Live, man, because it's TikTok China. Live. They yeah. don't give a freak about people pirating. So oh. you, can, like, you find like crisp, like per, like people just straight up recording UFC fights. So that's Cooper's like, fault. <laughs> Idol was pirated 
fired in UFC. Hey, that's not my false idol, man. But <laughs> just, hey, make sure I, you, just make sure you use a VPN. Yeah. So, sorry, sorry, Dana White. Express but, VPN. Uh, as soon as I have Express. more money, I'll, I'll actually buy them the UFC fights. But right now, I mean, <laughs> you can't afford that shit right now. I know. As soon as I have enough money, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I that's the type of thing where you gotta call ten people over just so everyone can chip in for the pay per view. I know, or I could just. Yeah. Turn on TikTok Live. Look up <laughs> Starling versus my, my, my favorite just, is boom, right there. Just mirror it. Just like do a smart share on TV. I can't, I did I with, can't uh, remember what fight Kaneda, it was. Uh, Israel Adesanya fight. Uh, I, I think it was like the KSI fight against Jake Paul or something. Oh, yeah. It was some stupid fight like that. And it was only like one app and it wasn't like loading. So like Chase was having to find it on Twitch to put it on like his projector. Oh, yeah. Because you'd have people put it on and they'd yeah. shut down. And so it's just kind of I know. Funny. That's how I watched. I think what game did I watch? It might have been the national championship for uh, or for football. I cannot remember. What did I watch it on? But yeah, I watched the whole game on Facebook Live. <laughs> Dude, it was sick. It might have been on my mission. <laughs> Dude, I, I think wa- it was. I watched like the McGregor-Poirier fight. I watched that on my mission. Yeah. Facebook Live, man. Except for those ones, Facebook Live's tough because Facebook takes them all down. So, yeah. like, you're having to, like, switch between them all the time. And hey, I was actually, I was telling Chad that, that you invited me on your podcast. He's like, oh, I'm oh, sure really? going to have to listen to that one again because he's listened to some of them. Dude, freaking Old Chad, Chad, dude. That dude's a goat. I love that dude. dude I mean, Chad is so cool. Well, he's a stud. So, it's my cousin. He was in Creighton's mission. Um, okay. And so, they knew each other. And, like, you guys had met before, um... You went out there. Yeah. But, like, yeah. You, you, yeah, you what did we do? We went and did something with Chad. Oh, we went to Tacano's. Yeah, you went to Tacano's, yeah. yeah. But uh, he's a stud. I mean, honestly, we need to get him up here. Like, of course, he's at, they're actually going back to Portugal here soon. Dude, I am too. Uh, when are you going? October. Uh, oh, he, they're going. So his family and then his wife are going in, uh, like, a week or so. Oh, really? Yeah, Dang. like, it's, like, right over their anniversary because they got married, oh, like, May cool. 15th of last year. I think it was, like, a year ago. That's what we're doing, me and Bracken. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Like, port- the Mediterranean seems super cool. Like, I think it's, like, I want to go to Italy. Yeah. And, I mean, this is, this is you know, the last thing, one of the things I'll say, you know, it's about architecture. If you look at, like, kind of all the structures we've built in the last 40 years, none of it, no one's going to give a crap to go and walk through. I mean, look at how ugly all of it is. And it's like really before like 1970, we built beautiful structures. Like look at the Empire State Building or like the Chrysler Building or like old Detroit or like old St. Louis before they got destroyed like in the 1940s and 50s and like the earlier stuff we built. It was, it was beautiful and like, you know, it evoked beauty and like people liked it. And then modern architectures got into it and now everyone just builds like, you know, blocks and it's like when you build a structure, especially if it's like a government building, like a courthouse or like, you know, the town hall or something like Provost Town Hall looks ugly. Build something that people are going to want to walk through, like Spanish Fork City Hall. Like, I like the brick. I mean, it isn't like Greco-Roman, but, like, it's a pretty building. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, it, it, it looks, you know, it, it actually evokes, like, meaning when, like, well, I know, you want to go through it. I think, I mean, like, you walk through the streets of, like, pretty much anywhere in Europe. Mm-hmm. Not anywhere, but most places. And it just feels like the streets are, like, alive. Mm-hmm. Like, it just feels, it just feels cool. Yeah. Like, it just, it's like the feeling you get from that. Kind of like you can look at something that was built hundreds mm-hmm. of years ago and you're like, who the heck? You can't you can't even comprehend someone taking the time to make something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, and it's sad because we could be doing it. it like, like I mean, we we could we could be building all these things and having them beautiful, but like temples, man. But like, yeah, look at temples. That's, That's a great true. example. Great. That's a great, I mean, really all, good like, like I mean, look temples. They they do a great job of taking modern aspects. With classical and a lot of like, and it looks beautiful. Like, and I mean, a lot of intricate detail. Like, like, I mean, look. One example is you look at the Provo City Center Temple. Uh-huh. Why don't we build church? No, the LDS churches are look fine, 
I mean, they're not like these giant ornate. No, you can say they're boring as freak. But, but they're boring. But I mean, for oh, for the most part, they don't look like a freaking old pizza like some churches look like now. I'm just That's making true. the point. That is true. Like people are like, why did we quit going to church? It's like, well, look at the churches you built 300 years ago, or even 200, or even 100 years ago. They were these beautiful ornate structures that evoked beauty, and people wanted to like captivate. Like you look at libraries, like you know these like big Ivy League schools, or like. These big, you know, cities that have, like, these super old libraries, but they're beautiful. You walk in, and you have, like, the stories and, like, the hall. Like, and you want to sit down and freaking read. Well, I mean, yeah, you want to actually go in there and, like, learn and do stuff. And now you look at how we have our libraries now. You walk in there, there's, like, some crappy computers, and then, like, you have just, like, just, like, an abstract flat wall with, like, glass. And, like, just, cr- not that you have to have, you know, car- not that you have to have hardwood floors, but you have, like, the crappy industrial carpet. And it's just like, it's like, no wonder kids don't want to go to a library anymore. And it's like, well, we don't need it because we have the internet. It's like, well, you have to give them a reason to want to do it. And like, whenever you build something that's by the government or anything, you should build it so that you want, so that in 200 years, people are going to want to walk through it. Dude, that's the thing. People don't understand the importance of art and beauty. Yeah. It's huge. It really is. I mean, honestly, just look at when it all went to shit when you started doing all this like abstract stuff. I mean, I mean, honestly, look at modern art. It's yeah. terrible. And then you look at art from guys that did like in the 1600s. Like what Michelangelo did. I mean, they they were like carving into marble, like like veils that like you could almost like see through. Like that's insane. Why don't we do that anymore? Why are we so consumed with like these stupid things that don't look good that no one's gonna ever crap about in five minutes? Yeah. Have you ever been to the UVU um, library? They have that huge stainless glass piece. I haven't. It's actually super super cool. Yeah. It's like the history of the world and it's super detailed. Like it's um. I'm gonna guess it's it's like 20 feet tall, mm-hmm. and it's probably and it's in a cir- it's a circular room. It's stainless glass. Yeah. it is probably super 100 plus feet. Yeah, tall. like you yeah. Think so? yeah, and why? Yeah, we should be doing that. We should be. I mean, honestly, like the government can't say money is the issue. It's like you already don't care about money. You're gonna spend whatever you want. Like, why not at least make it look beautiful? Like, honestly, if we're gonna go bankrupt. Why not at least have beautiful you know structures? And honestly, I really believe it is because a lot of the you know the global elites and the people who do it. They don't want you to have, like, they don't want to evoke beauty. They just want it normal. They don't want you to, like, they almost want you to depress. They want you just to be, like, they want you just to be, A like, happy factory worker. You're well, going to be controlled if you're depressed, though. Well, that's what I mean. Like, they, they want you just to be, <coughs> they, 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 they don't want you to, you know, because, like, <clears throat> when you walk into somewhere like the Senate building, you know, the Capitol, or the White House, or these different, even, like, a state Capitol, it just, you feel powerful. Like you walk in and you have these beautiful dome structures and these buildings with these ornate architecture yeah. and like beautiful things. It evokes feeling. It makes you feel like you can do something. You know what I mean? And like you don't feel that when you walk into something. Like when a kid walks into a school. Now I'm not saying you need to build like you know every elementary or like high school like like a Greco-Roman building and tw- spend three hundred million dollars or like way more money. Yeah. But instead of building these like black these like just ugly looking like. I mean, honestly, like, look at this Pace and Spanish Fork High School old ones. Even the new ones aren't looking that great. That doesn't evoke beauty. That's like, wow, like, no wonder, like, kids aren't motivated to actually want to go to school. You should be building something where people want to go in. And, like, yeah. you know, and... I agree with you. And then, but it's just tough, but it's like, you should be, like, you should be building things that evoke beauty and evoke feeling. I agree with you. I like that. I like that. Okay, Derek. So... Right now, you're going to BYU, right? Yeah. Going to BYU, trading your crypto stuff. Yeah. 
working, I think, right? Yeah. Working at the greenhouse. Is that what you're doing? Yep. What's the, what's the future look like for Derek? I mean, honestly, just I want to get, you know, do venture capital or private equity. Um, and so it's been really awesome, you know, be able to work with Andina Ventures. So, you know, with Ron and get, you know, kind of be a part of that team and, you know, be able to invest in a, but I really like it. I really like, you know, investing in blockchain or, you know, software as a service companies or even uh, payment solutions. And so, I mean, the future, at least, is what I look at is you got to, you know, set yourself up that you can have success down the line. Like, you guys are starting a business, you know. The way I look at it is once I graduate college, I want to go and either, I mean, work, keep doing stuff with Andina would be phenomenal. That would be, like, ideal. But if we're not big enough and, you know, keep getting experience, you know, go and work at a place like a coin doom or, like, a venture, venture capital-backed company and learn how they really operate and then take that experience to pivot into, you know, either to Andina and be a part of that because I love that team and I love, I think we got a lot of great things going and I think it's, I think we're going to have a lot of success or just go to any number of different, you know, firms that you can add value and then, you know, once you cash out or something, I just want to build a ranch and just kind of be left alone, you know, get a bunch of land and just... Can I come visit you, man? Of course. I mean, honestly, it's like what I said, you know, if you don't know the garage code, don't even bother knocking. Like, all my buddies will know it because it's like, I've just given up on humanity. Actually, I shouldn't say that. It's okay to get discouraged with humanity, but you never can give up, especially on America. Yeah. But, like, um, it's okay to get discouraged, but you never give up. But, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of the plan is, you know, just to keep building, get experience, and put yourself in a position where you can have success and ultimately work for yourself, you know. Because if you're working to make someone else money, you're, you're never – Yeah, you're like, – like, I mean, the best advice – my Uncle Nick told me this, and he, you know, he's a dentist, and he owns his own practice, and they've done very well, and they've had a lot of success. It's Chad's dad. He always just told me, and this is true, be your own boss. Yeah. You're going to make more money. You, you should, unless you're okay just doing that and just being average or, you know, you should strive to be the boss, you know, an executive at a company or be your own boss or else you're going to spend the rest of your life, like you said, just at the behest of someone else. You know, you're not going to be able to have autonomy over what you do every day. Right. But. Well, Derek, we've reached our hour. Yeah. Um, in one sentence, one single mm-hmm strong sentence mm-hmm. what is your message what do you live by and what do you want people to know about you I mean think about it you know this is how I think about things when it, it takes something so little to become great or to be you know like I would always just say in everything you do be legendary whatever you do be legendary be the best grind you know fight to be the best be legendary be the guy that people talk about in 10 years you know so that's what you're striving for. I would just say, yeah, you know, not because I care about what, you know, not because everyone is just saying, like, oh, Derek's like the model example. It's just because I don't even care if you talk about me. But we have a bunch of people in our society who are beta males who just go in, punch in, clock out, go and drink their soy milk and drive their Subaru <laughs> around. Like, honestly, that's what we have as a society. Yeah. The people, so. that, are, the people that are ass kickers and want to win are going to win. You have to be willing to do it. It takes something so little extra. So I just say do it. Be legendary in everything you do. Love it. So that in the sentence would be create a future that you and your offspring are proud of. Yeah. Just. Nice. Yeah, that's what I would say. And wear a pump Great cover. Wear yeah, pump oh yeah. Pump cover. For sure. <laughs> wear a pump cover and, you know, get your Mother's Day gift at Olson's Garden Shop. You know. <laughs> there got you lot, go. Got a lot of beautiful flowers for mom, you know. And if, if for every for everyone that buys a flower and mentions pump cover, we'll get 50% off. Ask Derek. Uh, I'm the Indian, not the chief in that. So. Native American, man. Yeah, Just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, 
Dude, that's dude, you're awesome. Derek, well, you I guys think are great. You're a great guy. Thanks for having me on. It was, it was great to catch up with you guys. Dude, you're awesome. Oh yes.